0: For listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit Sozospokane.com. Sozo church there 's a lot of detail given to the to sort of the, the Passion week of Jesus, and so we are somewhere between a year and two years into the, the the public ministry of Jesus, depending on whose sort of time frame you look at and and what sort of internet arguments you want to be a part of. We're somewhere between a year and two years into the life and ministry of Jesus, and so uh, so so much has happened. Much has taken place at this point uh, in Jesus' life. Uh, many sort of regard this this. Um, this passage as just sort of a, a passing narrative this this these verses we're going to read this morning but but I believe it's important for us to, to know kind of where we sit Jesus has been ministering for a year or two like we said he he'd gathered a huge crowd for his day a mass amount of people um, all estimates are that it was well over 10,000 people we know that in John chapter 6 he fed 5,000 men not counting women and children so so we can estimate that over 10,000 people are following Jesus he's he's sort of buzzing in his day, he's trending, <laughs> and, uh, and he's, he's, he's sort of moving, moving through, and then in one moment, in one message, he clears out his followers, because he stands up in the synagogue and speaks to a bunch of Jewish people and says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you're all going to hell. And like a bunch of good people, they're like, yeah, peace out. That's not what they signed up for, that's not what they, that's not what they were looking for. They were looking for uh, free food, amen, we're, that's a good thing, we all like free food. They're looking for free food, they're looking for somebody to come and deliver them to, to solve all their problems, to take care of all their issues, and Jesus says, well, really what this is all about is you eating my body and drinking my blood, and they all leave, so we have this sort of what seems like a passing narrative, but, but I believe what's really going on here is, 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 is Jesus is trying to teach us something. John's trying to show us something. Remember, this book was written, according to John, with a specific impur- purpose in mind. And that purpose is that we might see and know Jesus for who he really is. And so as we read this passage, let's not just get, uh, let's, not, let's not give into the temptation to just sort of uh, skim through this very quick and, and just skip over things. No, we want to mine the scriptures for all that God has for us. Amen? We want to see the majesty and the wonder and the beauty and the awesomeness of our God. So if you've got a Bible, John chapter 7, verse 1. Once you get it, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to read some Bible this morning. I'm glad that four of you are as excited as I am. I don't need any of you to be excited. I'm excited enough. But uh, John chapter 7, reading out of the ESV, you can read out of any other inferior translation you choose, but we like the good one around here, amen? The elect standard version. Um, John chapter 7, verse 1 says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. By Jews, that means the the Jewish leaders, the rulers of the day. Verse 2. Now the Jewish feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, "'Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world.'" for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, He remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly. Of him. Let's pray together this morning, Church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you that we have your word, that you've given us your word, and that we, we we are given the gift of an opportunity to gather together as your people, to hear your word read, to hear your word taught. God, to be fed from your word. And so we come to your word this morning hungry to eat. God, I pray that you would give me the grace to set before us this morning, as it were, a banquet to to eat of your word, that we would eat deeply from what you set before us, that it would, would go deep within our hearts, deep within our souls, would begin to satisfy and nourish and even transform the fiber of who we are. God, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, feet to walk out in obedience, that you might be glorified, that you might be exalted, that you might be made much of in this world In Jesus' name. Everybody said, go ahead and high five some people and grab a seat. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, this morning I want to talk to you on the title, if you're if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I want to talk to you on the title of Advancing Through Adversity. Advancing Through Adversity. We, we need to understand, we read in the passage, Jesus is up against a lot of opposition this morning. Jesus is up against a lot of opposition. He's, he's facing the 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 the, the, the the wrath, you could say, of, of the, the system that he's under, the crowds have left, the numbers are down, authorities want him dead, how, how does he respond? What does he do? What is, what is the response of Jesus in the face of this adversity? I want us to look and learn from the person, from the nature, from the character of who Jesus is. The first thing I think we need to see in the midst of this, how Jesus responds, is that Jesus cannot be muzzled Jesus cannot be muzzled. The, the, the leadership have sort of put out a, a, a warrant for Jesus in his day. They have have set out to silence Jesus. The religious leaders are done putting up with him. Before this, we sort of see them interacting with him, sort of having conversations and, and asking questions and debating and trying to figure him out. But once he sort of makes this public announcement of the reality of what his mission is, they are done, they are finished, they are through, they no longer are interested in having a dialogue or a debate. I think there's a couple reasons that might be at play here. As I sort of ask the text some questions, why is it that these leaders would want him dead? Either... They, they just disagreed with his teaching. They were offended by his teaching. They were angered by what he said. They were afraid of this false teaching getting out, and so they thought, no, we've got to stop him. They, they disagreed with this theology to the point that they thought the only way to contain this infection was to, was to kill its source. They saw his teaching as blasphemous and therefore sought to put him to death according to their understanding of the Mosaic law. That's one option. Or perhaps, perhaps these leaders were afraid that Jesus would cause a a military and a political uprising amongst the people. And that this might compromise their position of, of comfort and control over the people that they had had received by having this sort of tedious relationship with Rome. See, we know that the people already wanna make Jesus king, right? We saw that in the text. That, that Jesus, Jesus is, is so popular, he is so followed, he is, he is so loved by the people that they want to actually make him their earthly king. They want to set him up as their political, military leader. We know that from history, at this point, the Jewish people are under the control and subjugation of Rome, and as such, they desire their freedom, amen? It's a good thing to want. They want their freedom. They don't want to be controlled and ruled by an outside people. So they're crying out for and looking for some sort of of Old Testament deliverer. Come on, like book of Judges, raise up somebody that will just slaughter our enemies and deliver us back to freedom. And so they're looking to Jesus for this. So this would have put the, the ruling class of the Jewish authorities in sort of a precarious situation, would it not? See, I believe that their desire to hold on to their comfort and authority is what motivated them to seek Jesus' life. The Jewish leaders, that, that would be the priests and the nobles that were sort of connected to the temple structure that was there at the time, they, they were in sort of an affair with Rome. They were sort of, hey, we'll, we'll control the people if you let us kind of remain in, in our positions of comfort and authority, and hey, Rome, you're, you're the leader, you're the boss, but you know, we'll kind of be here and we'll kind of keep order for you as long as you let us sort of still walk around like we're some sort of noble ruling class. And because of this, any sort of skirmishes, any sort of, 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 of muttering or murmuring about uprising would have been very dangerous to their position. Now, I'm going to say something that I need you to hear clearly. I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a biblical statement that bad things happen when the church submits to state. Bad things happen when we, when we say, hey, whatever, the, whatever the, the prevailing cultural, political sort of ideology is, we'll just sort of come under that. I'm gonna pick on some, some people right now. It's real easy for pastors to stand up right now and talk against uh, you know, sex trafficking. Nobody's gonna hate me for talking about sex trafficking. But if I get up here and talk about some other things... Suddenly now, that's not so popular. We want, we, want to talk about, we want to talk about lifestyle stuff? No, no, let's just talk about these general vague evils in the world. Don't tell me that if I'm racist, I'm going to hell. Just tell me that I should be working toward the freedom of all people. I love you. So, so, so we, we see this sort of relationship But what we see is that they're trying to control Jesus, but he will not be muzzled because listen to me and hear me well, Jesus cannot be stopped, cannot be contained, and will not be thwarted. Jesus cannot be stopped, cannot be contained, and will not be thwarted. Jesus will not be stopped by the efforts of a false religious authority. Jesus will not be contained by the cultural expectations of a fallen system, and Jesus will not be thwarted by the the human feeble motive of, success. What you and I may have missed in this text, if we don't understand the geography of this part of the world, Judea was sort of the southern part of, of, Jeru- of, of Israel, and it was where most of the, the, the population was. It was the big cities. It was where Jerusalem was. It was where, where if things were happening, things were happening down in Judea. Galilee was up north, but we would think of it like we think of the south. Hello, somebody. Right? Like it was sort of, it was sort of sort of country. It was sort of, it was sort of the, the smaller populations, more rural, less, less posh, less influence, but that's suddenly where Jesus goes. In the face of their threats, in the light of dwindling crowds, Jesus simply moves his ministry to what we would call an obscure location and continues to do what the Father had called him to do. What was that? lovingly declare and demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God. He doesn't allow them to stop him. He simply moves to the side and continues to do what the father had called him to do. I love the way Jesus will not allow himself to be muzzled. We also see, though, that Jesus will not be manipulated. Jesus will not be manipulated. Everyone around Jesus seems super interested in controlling Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? They're all interested in sort of leveraging Jesus for their own benefit, for their own system, for their own sort of uh, 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 promotion. Everyone is telling Jesus what he should and shouldn't do, how he should and shouldn't do it, and when he should or shouldn't do it. He won't, be, he won't be manipulated. He won't be manipulated by the religious leaders who are seeking to kill him. I find this rather interesting. I'm gonna spoil this, so spoiler alert, okay? Okay? you ready? Jesus is going to die. Jesus is going to die at the hand of the people that are currently seeking his life. So why doesn't he just do it now? Why doesn't he just, why does he just, why does he just give in? I mean, it would just be easy. Let's just get it over with. Let's just get it done. Bam, bam. Let's be done with this thing. He can do the whole death resurrection thing. It's a pretty good thing. And then we're all good. Because Jesus will not be manipulated. He he will lay his life down, but he said it himself. He lays his life down, nobody takes it from him. He will die how and where and yes, when he chooses. He won't be manipulated. He won't be manipulated by the leaders, but he also won't even be manipulated by his own brothers, by his own family. In verse three, we see his brothers begin to speak to him. And, and, And if I'm gonna be honest, I always just took this as his brothers, come on, being brothers. Anybody got brothers in the room? Come on. They're just sort of, sort of teasing him, sort of egging him on a little bit, sort of mocking him a little bit. From their place of unbelief, they're just belittling him. But perhaps, as I was sort of meditating on this text this week, maybe they just misunderstood his motives. Maybe they thought he was just trying to be popular, and so they're just trying to be good, good sort of managers for him. Maybe they're just coming to him and saying, hey, look, man, look, I know we know you're trying to be like Mr. Rabbi or whatever, and that's, that's cool, but you kind of messed up with the whole eat me, drink my blood thing. So here's your shot. There's, there's the big festival in Jerusalem. Go there early, set up shop, do your little miracle thing, and, and put on your little teachings. Do what people want you to do. Don't talk about the blood so much. But just do what people like. You can get the crowd back. They're not so far gone, you can't win back your popularity. Come on, just go there. If you want to be famous, go be famous. You lost last season of American Idol or Jerusalem Idol, I don't know. But the new season's up. You can go back, try it again. Let's, Let's do this again. And the amazing thing is that Jesus will have none of it. Jesus will have none of it. Jesus is not interested, please hear me, in leveraging cultural expectation for the sake of numeric growth or social influence. That is friggin' huge for us today because everything in our world is telling us that's the, that is the ultimate goal that we should all be after. Even in the church, that's what we're told, that we should be trying to win friends, and influence people. <laughs> and here they give Jesus sound advice. If that's his goal, then their advice is, come on, it's good advice. Go and, and do what people want you to do. See how many likes you can get. See how much influence you could lead. See how popular you could be. Don't say anything that might, maybe, sort of, kind of be taken as mean or offensive or, or unloving or, heaven forbid, harsh or intolerant. Just go be nice. And yet Jesus does not seem to be interested in this. Now, before I take one more step in that direction, let me just say this right now. This is not an endorsement or an excuse or permission for you to be a jerk. (laughs) The world does not need any more Christian jerks. We have all of them that we need, okay? That quota has been met, (laughs) exceeded, we're done, okay? So you don't need to be one, just be nice. At the same time, we are not called, come on, we are not called to be silent while our world lives separate from the goodness and love of our God. So no, don't be a jerk, but don't be silent either. Jesus here is not interested in playing the system, He's not interested in striking while the iron is hot. See, Jesus is not in a hurry for he knows the end from the beginning. Jesus is not in a hurry because he knows the end from the beginning. And so Jesus avoids even the appearance of submitting to worldly influence. Does anybody find it weird? Jesus first tells them I'm not going and then what does he do? He goes. So is Jesus a liar? No. What's what's happening here, when we we look into the text, when you really read the text, what he's saying is is the timing is not right. You guys are trying to get me to go for these reasons or this motives, but I'm not gonna be manipulated by you into thinking this thing is the right thing to do just because it'll get me more followers. But Jesus also uses this as an opportunity to demonstrate the difference between them and himself. Verses six through eight, Jesus' Jesus' response to them demonstrates one thing, that they are not the same, that Jesus and his earthly brothers are not the same. They may share a mother, but their origins are completely different. They can go whenever they want. Jesus can only go when he sees the father go. Because of Jesus' commitment to an abiding intimacy with the Father, Jesus seems less free than they are. They can go whenever they want, he says. You guys can go down early, stay late, do whatever you want. You guys are free to do that. Himself, Jesus says, I have to wait until the timing is right. I have to go at the right moment, with the right motives, in the right manner. You guys can just go. Because we're not the same, he says. We're not the same. My time has not yet come. It wasn't a going or a not going thing. It was a timing thing. I think this is good for us to hear because how much of our frustration with God is based on timing? So often as, as we're praying, as we're seeking the Lord, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Because how many of you have learned, if you haven't learned this, write it down, highlight it, tattoo it on your forehead backwards so you can see it in the mirror A good thing at the wrong time isn't a good thing. A good thing at the wrong time isn't a good thing. So Jesus had learned to abide in the Father. Jesus had learned to wait on Him. So when the time had come, He goes to Jerusalem, but not in the way and not for the reasons that His brothers think. Jesus avoids even the appearance of submitting to their influence. I love this. He, he, won't, be, he won't be controlled by them. He won't, be, he won't be told to go. He won't be manipulated, but he also won't be limited by them. When it's time to go, he goes. Well, that's 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 gonna lead to some misunderstanding, Jesus. Jesus is not worried about being misunderstood. See, Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus is misunderstood. Nobody in this whole story seems to agree on what to do with Jesus. The Jewish leaders, the authorities, they want to kill him. His brothers want to mock him, belittle him, or try to manipulate him. The crowd seems to be arguing over even the most basic uh, basic uh, aspects of his nature, of his character, of who he is. Interesting little side note here for a second. Says the crowd was murmuring about him. Same Greek word for murmuring is the Greek word for complaining. All parents know that that's true in English as well. (laughs) If your kids are murmuring about you, they're murmuring about him. They're complaining about him. What are they doing? Where is Jesus? Where's the free food? Where's the miracles? Where's the fun teaching? Where's where's? the where is all? He's not here. He's not setting up shop the way we thought he would. I mean, he's, he's supposed to be one of the guys. We, we, we wanted to see him debate some of the other rabbis. We wanted to see him sort of interact in this situation. We wanted to see him sort of make, make the, the Jewish leaders sort of squirm a little bit. It's fun. Jesus seems to be avoiding all of this. No one can seem to agree on who he is. But this brings us to something that I think is is rather tragic. I I thought about spending our whole time this morning just in this one verse, but thought we needed a little bit more context. Verse 5, for not even his own brothers believed in him. I think this might be one of the most heartbreaking verses in the life of Jesus when you stop and actually hear it. These are the people that Jesus has lived with his whole life. This is his family. This is his blood. This is, this is, this is his, if anyone should be his people, you would think at this point it would be his brothers, Certainly his brothers had heard the rumors of the Jewish leaders wanting him to die, and yet his brothers are egging him on to go. His brothers had no faith in who he was. Now now there is going to come a day, and if you continue through the story of the Gospels and, and, and into Acts and into the Epistles, you will see where his brothers do come to believe. But at this moment, at this point, this heartbreaking verse shows us that he is left completely isolated and unknown, they are unable to accurately identify who he is. How lonely was the life of our Savior? How isolating, how, how separated was he that even his own family didn't understand the purpose of his mission? I mean, I think about this with his brothers. Had they not been told the story of his immaculate conception? Did they not know of the wise men that came to visit, of the divine nature of how God put all this together? Had they not recognized perfection living in their own home? Jesus is isolated and he's separated. And in this, I think Jesus teaches us a profound truth. And that is misunderstanding is a part of life for the sons of God. He says, look, we're not the same. He says, you, you, guys, you guys think we're the same because we, we share a mom, but we're not the same. The world doesn't have to hate you. It has to hate me because I'm not of the world. So I point out to the world the, the flaws in its logic, the errors in its ways, and the evilness at its very core. So of course it hates me, but it can't hate you. Jesus ties their misunderstanding to their difference in identity. Jesus is not like them. In this way we see that the family of God is more family than family is family. So the family of God is more family than family is family. I get paid every time I say family. (laughs) The family of God is more family than family is family. Has anybody experienced this as a believer? And so Jesus, though he's misunderstood, he makes no effort. He, he presses no energy into settling this misunderstanding. He doesn't sit his brothers down. If he was going to sit anybody down, you'd think he'd sit his brothers down and sort of explain things step by step. Let me explain to you how this is going to work. Why doesn't he do that? Well, back in, in chapter 6, he told us that the flesh profits nothing. Only the spirit can give life. And the words that he's been speaking to them are spirit. It would do them no good if he were to sit down and sort of lay everything out. This is A, then B, then C, then D. They would have, listen, they would have understanding, but they still would not be able to identify Jesus. Unless the Spirit brings that life within them, they were without hope. And so Jesus understands that misunderstanding is just going to be part of his life as the Son of God. I think for us, as sons of God, not the Son of God, there's only one, the Son, amen? Amen. Tracking together. I want to make sure we're not getting into cult territory here. I've already talked about eating flesh and drinking blood. So let's make sure we're not. Jesus gives us the right, according to John chapter 1, to become sons of God. Amen? So if Jesus is misunderstood, we ought not to be surprised when we are misunderstood, when we're isolated. And when we are, we need to realize, we need to recognize that Jesus understands and knows that pain and identifies with us in that weakness. So this morning, I want us to move now. I want to give some extra time this morning to our response. I don't want us to just move past this quickly Sure, there's not a lot of action happening here. It just seems like a a sort of narrative to try to tell us how Jesus got from Galilee back down to Judea, and there's some amazing things that Jesus is going to declare to us in the next few weeks, and I'm very excited for those, but let's not miss what Jesus is trying to do here. So here are my questions for us. What are we allowing to silence our gospel voice? Jesus is being threatened. Jesus is, his life is on the line and he still continues to be used by God. What are we afraid of? Church, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of persecution? By the way, American persecution means people unlike you on Facebook. (laughs) Are we afraid of losing our comfort? We afraid of rejection. We afraid of not getting that promotion at work. Here's what I want to encourage us to do. There, There are limits. Listen, there are limits on what we can and cannot do. So 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 what we need to be doing as we as it pertains to finding a place to use our gospel voice is look for where God is moving, not where he is not. Where is the open door, not where is the closed door? I believe God wants to impart a new way of seeing today. He wants to reveal a new way of doing what you've always thought was impossible. It may not look the way you thought it would look. It may not be to the scale or to the scope that you had previously thought necessary, but He wants to show you what He is doing. And He wants to show you that He isn't after outcome, but He's after obedience. Well, that, that needs to liberate somebody this morning. He's not after outcome, He's after obedience. We read this early on in in our journey through the Gospel of John where Mary turns to the servants at the wedding where they've run out of wine and she goes to Jesus and she she begs him for help and then she goes to the servants and she says, whatever he does, just whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. As we're looking at this, how how, are are we allowing ourselves to be muzzled? The question is not, are you doing all the things that you possibly ever could do? That's what, listen, that's what dead religion tells you you need to do. The gospel says whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And I think today God wants to give some people eyes to see the possibility, eyes to see what he is doing, eyes to see what what is capable, what is possible, where the open doors are. My question is what has God asked you to do and are you willing to lay down your excuses today and let him reveal a path less taken? Next thing I want us to take some time and meditate on this morning in our response is what is trying to control or influence you? What's trying to control or influence you? As sons of God, we are to be controlled by the Spirit and nothing else by the Spirit and nothing else. And I believe, I'm gonna say this right now, I believe God wants to break inferior influences off of people's lives today. I think there are, there are some of us, if we're gonna be honest, there, there's a lot of, of little whisperers in our ear trying to influence what we should do and where we should go and what we should be about. I think for some of us, listen to me, some of us are unable to see that which God is trying to show us when I talked about in the first one, where, where is God moving, where is God working? Some of us are unable to see where he is moving because we, we are allowing his voice to be drowned out by other influences, what I like to call lovers less wild than Jesus. These voices are sneaking in, addiction, intimidation, fear, lack. Maybe they're relationships, maybe they're substances. I, I don't know, but I think God wants to break those things off because he says in Galatians five sixteen that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I like the way the Passion says it. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. I believe God wants to impart a new ability to walk in the Spirit today. Some of you, addiction and and, and things have hindered you. You thought you were dependent upon things that God never designed you to be dependent upon. He wants to break some of those things off this morning. So that you're no longer under the control or the influence of anything else. And last and, and, and certainly not least, I want to just ask the question, to you, are you misunderstood? Have you struggled with that? Have you, have you felt the sting of being misunderstood and therefore isolated? Well, here's the really good news. You are not alone. Jesus knows exactly how you feel and you are not alone in it. And I also believe something, and if I had time, I would, I would dive through the scriptures and, and show you this, but I, I believe there is a unique intimacy available to those who experience the sting of abandonment. I believe that God is near those who are brokenhearted in this way. I think for some of us, we, we have desired to be used by God and to not be muzzled, and so we have, we have spoken out. We have used our voice to share the love and the grace and the truth of who Jesus is with those around us. We have sought to, to walk in obedience to what he's called us to do, and then we've experienced backlash from even those closest to us, and it's caused us to be silent, to go quiet, To think maybe God's just called me to pray. (laughs) But I believe Jesus is here not only to comfort you today, but to strengthen you as well. And the first thing, I felt like the Lord laid this on my heart just, just, just before coming up here. Some of you have felt that sting of being rejected, of being misunderstood, of being pushed to the side. And on top of the sting of feeling that rejection, here's the real struggle that you've gone into. Here's the real danger. You've begun to question, why would God let that happen? You don't think Jesus was tempted to question the Father as to why he gave him brothers like that? Why couldn't you give me nice brothers? Here's what I've come to believe. Experienced, having personally experienced this type of rejection, here's what I've come to believe. This is evidence of the jealousy of God. Jesus wants all of you. Jesus loves you to the point that he will not share you with lovers less wild. So if that means you have to realize the shortcomings of trusting in others so that you learn that he is the only one who can really sustain you, who can really, who, can really, who can really give you stability and security and joy, he will let you walk that road. He will let you walk through. Not only will he let you, here's the tough part, he will custom design a road for you to walk So you can learn that lesson because he's jealous for you, because he loves you, because you're his. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I believe God wants to, to meet some people this morning. And so we're gonna, we're gonna give some time to respond. I know we've had a full morning already, but we're gonna give some time to respond together here today. We respond as a community whenever we gather together in, in some similar ways. We do this through, through celebration. We're gonna, we're gonna sing here. We're gonna, we're gonna lift up our voices. We're gonna worship Jesus. We love to worship as a house, amen? Worship is one of the foundational pieces of who we are as a community of people. We're gonna do that. We also do that through through contemplation as well. I give you these questions as, as tools to dive into some, some contemplative time here together. As we sing, as we worship, we're trying to give ourselves some space to be able to just meditate upon these things, to ask ourselves these questions, to let them sort of do some work in our heart and in our mind to challenge us, to press us, Celebration, contemplation, the last way we choose to respond is through a means we call communion. And This happens in two different forms. First and, and most maybe simple is we partake of communion together as we, as we gather. We celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, the means by which we are brought back into right relationship with the Father. We do this as believers by taking a piece of bread or gluten-free wafer, dipping it in the juice. We have four stations here. All four stations have have juice as well as gluten-free wafers. The black stations have regular bread. The white station is as gluten-free as we can make it for those that would have need of that. So we celebrate in communion, we respond partaking in communion. Now, I want to be be clear, these tables are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to be part of our our sort of tradition, our tribe. You don't have to be a member here. You don't have to go through a class. The one thing we would tell you is this, that this, this sacrament, this act is something reserved for believers, for those who have repented of their sins and believe upon Christ. And so if you you would be honest with yourself and with the Lord and say, hey, that's not you, that's not where you are, then we would ask you to abstain until such a time as you have come to trust in Jesus. But also I want to extend to you a moment right now to say that you can do that in this moment. You can repent and you can believe. That that, that that might sound really religious. That might sound really complicated. It simply means that you can admit and abandon your sin. Admit and abandon all of those things that you are allowing to keep you from the heart and the fullness and the love and the grace and the truth of who Jesus is and all that God has for you. To admit those things and to abandon them, to let them go. And by belief, we simply mean to embrace Jesus. To admit, to abandon to embrace to hold on to Jesus for all that he is and all that he desires to give to you and in that moment the scriptures say we move from death to life scriptures actually say we go from being separated from God to being in the actual family of God And it's nothing we can do and it's nothing we can earn and it's nothing we can achieve on our own. It's something we must accept and receive as the free and loving gift of our God. The last piece of communion for us is we believe in the communion of the saints. That God does not save us in isolation, that God does not reconcile us just to himself but rather he reconciles us into family. The scriptures tell us that God takes the isolated and he places them within family and the family of God and accompanying a community of people like this. And so what we do is we've set aside the portion of the room, kind of back here, this little lit area behind the chairs. And we're gonna have some people there that would love the opportunity to stand with you and pray with you and believe God for you. Now, generally, this is just open to any need you might have, physical, emotional, financial, relational, all the olds, all of them, they'd love to pray with you. They'd love to, to be a part of, of bringing your requests before God. But specifically this morning, I mentioned my, my belief that God wants to do some specific things. And as I mentioned those things, as I sort of, has sort of shared those in faith with you today, I, I believe some of you, something sort of tickled on the inside, something sort of wiggled Something sort of something sort of stirred in your soul and in your spirit. You said, Yeah, yeah, that I need that. I need God to break off some influences in my life that are keeping me back. I need God to give me the ability to see what he's doing. I have this desire within me to be used by him, but I don't know what to do. Maybe some of you just feel so isolated and so lonely and so scared to open up your heart. I really feel like there's some people here that you're just afraid to be open and honest with people. You've been hurt before, you've been hurt before, you've been rejected before, and you're scared to open up again. You're scared to hope again. You're scared to trust again. You're scared to be vulnerable again with some people, and I believe God wants to heal that this morning. And I know some of you are here, and I love you enough to tell you this. Some of you are here and you're like, yep, he, he wants to heal me, I know, and he'll heal me right here in my chair by myself. Listen, he can, but I believe something unique happens when we open up our hearts and open up our lives to the ministry of the body together and let somebody put their hand on our shoulder and pray for us. When we're willing to be vulnerable, when we're willing to say, this is, this is what I'm going through, this is what I need, This is where I'm at. And we confess. And we receive the the healing that comes. There is a healing. Listen to me, beloved. I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't believe it and if I didn't know with all my heart. There is a healing that only comes when we get honest. Because here's the truth. Jesus is not interested in healing your mask. He's not interested in healing the fake you that you project to everyone around you. Because he didn't make that, you made that. He wants to heal the real you, the heart of you, the core of you. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna respond through celebration, through contemplation, through communion. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here and that you are moving. God, I ask that you would give boldness to those here today specifically those here today that need to step out of their seat and go let somebody pray for them. God, I, can, I, I already know because I make the same things. The excuses, well, the line's gonna be too long or nobody really needs to know my problem or you can heal me right here, God, and you can do this. God, would you shatter those things and would you give them faith and boldness to make their way? Let somebody pray with them. If they have to stand in a line, stand in a line. And God, as they go, would you meet them in that place? uniquely, powerfully, personally. Would you meet them? Would you heal them? Would you deliver them? Would you save them today? And not because of the words that I have said, not because of the, even the words that will be prayed for them, but because of your goodness and by your power and by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.